Hi, I'm Maureen Chaccio, your host for the Ask a Sustainable Builder podcast. This podcast is about how to make decisions in your custom home or renovation project that will reduce your carbon footprint while creating a home you enjoy. In this episode, we're going to hear from John Deans of Emerald Builders in Bodenham, Maine. He's going to get into the nitty gritty of understanding the carbon problem in the building industry, and we'll learn about low carbon building, carbon storage, what's wrong with concrete, alternatives to foam insulation, and cost considerations for building sustainably. At the end of August, we're going to give away a gift certificate to Samba Soul, where they sell beautifully printed flip-flops for everyone using eco-friendly raw materials, Brazilian 100% recyclable rubber, and printed with non-toxic transfer technology. I have a pair and I love them and they're stylish and comfy and there are so many beautiful patterns to choose from and there are plain ones too, Uh, something for everyone. The gift certificate has been generously donated by Samba Soul owner, Carrie Johnson. So stick around for the details on how to enter that competition. I'll tell you that later. Right now, let's get to our featured guest, John Deans. Welcome, John. Do you think you could start by telling us a little bit about your background and uh, how you ended up in sustainable building? So I'm John Deans and I work for Emerald Builders. I'm a carpenter and then um, I'm also our marketing director and in-house sustainability person. A little bit about me, I basically started my career after college um, working for Greenpeace for about nine years and I was a community organizer, a policy analyst, a researcher, a campaigner, I worked on um, issues around toxic chemicals, climate change, uh, clean energy, uh, work to stop Arctic oil drilling. So I worked on a whole host of issues over that time. Um, And basically, I sort of got sick of sitting at a computer all day and talking on the phone all day. And I'm a very active person and very physical person. And I wanted to kind of do something that Um, I moved around a little bit more. And so my wife and I moved back to Maine where I grew up. Uh, We had been living in Colorado. And my best friend from high school um, has had a building company for the last 14 years, Emerald Builders. And I was looking for a new path. And we kind of came up with this idea that um, I could come work as a carpenter for Emerald Builders and also be our marketing communications person. So I still get to do some of the things that my background prepared me for while also learning all the skills and nuances of carpentry, which is something I'd done in um, college and, you know, had always had a hand in on and off. My dad was a shop teacher, so I'd always sort of been associated with it, but now I'm sort of in it fully and, you know, it's a, it's a new path. Were Emerald Builders already doing sustainable building when you got there? Yeah, so Emerald Builders started in 2006 um, and actually I was sort of around at that time. I, I was in college at College of the Atlantic and I was studying um, green business, sustainable business, all, amongst other things. And um, Reggie, the founder of the company and president of the company um, was sort of going off on his own. He had been a carpenter working for other people on other projects and decided he wanted to do his own thing. And he was really frustrated by just the, va- the amount of waste and um, lack of care for the environment in He was interested in reading about all these green building techniques, um, but nobody else on the job site seemed to care. And so he wanted to do his own thing. And so he and I were talking at the time and I was looking at how businesses are run, how they can be more sustainable. He's looking at starting a business. And so I was sort of there at the beginning um, in helping to 
design the, the vision for the company, which ultimately Reggie wanted to have a company that built with the most sustainable means possible, uh, the most environmentally friendly means possible, but also as a company represented a new type of company. Um, so Emerald Builders is a triple bottom line company, for instance, which means we care about profit. We make profit on our projects and the profits necessary to have a healthy and sustainable company um, and to have reserves and things like that. But we're similarly focused on or equally focused on what's our impact on the planet and what's our impact on people. So we call it the three P's, people, planet, profits. And designing a company like that is difficult in this day and age in this capitalist society that we have right now. But um, we're fortunate to be members of um, the Northeast Sustainable Energy Association, which has a, a building energy bottom lines program where we get to connect with other businesses in the building industry who are also triple bottom line companies and trying to pursue those goals. And so um, it's really been amazing to see, you know, now 14 years on how much um, our presence in the industry is sort of mirrored in, in many of our peers. That's great. Um, when you said you were um, working with sustainable and green businesses, is there a distinction between those terms do you, in your mind, um, or you, you just use them interchangeably? No, it's a good question. The terminology around sustainability and green and environmentally friendly um, leaves a lot to be desired. There's really no single term that I've found that really kind of um, it makes it a complete picture. And so green it kind of is a branding term, you know, but it also has a pejorative nature. People talk about, oh, it's the greenies doing the greeny thing. I mean, really what we're talking is about is something that we want businesses, business practices to be something that makes our world better while it sustains employment or, or necessary services. And I think that sustainability comes in because of that word sustain. I mean, the idea is We've had a very extractive economy. We continue to have a very extractive economy. It extracts resources from the earth. Um, it extracts you know, the human soul uh, out of things, the way that we treat people um, and so on and so forth. And, and I think what we're talking about is something that ideally would be more regenerative, that would give back. Um, and that would, I think our businesses and our economy should work to reflect the way that nature regenerates itself and how there are concepts like waste is food in nature, right? Like something that's wasted by one organism is generally taken up by another as a nutrient source. And there's a cycle out there. Well, human beings take resources and we turn them into poisons. We turn them into things that actively kill other species, you know, and we have mass extinction and, and other issues like climate change um, to, um, to, to show evidence of that. And so I think sustainability, green, environmentally friendly, eco-friendly, these are all terms that we just sort of apply synonymous to each other, but nothing really truly captures it because I think as a society, we've, we've not been able to just orient our brains in a way that allows us to uh, design our society and our economy in a way that's truly good for all people and all living things. Right. Good. So, so the word sustainable can be thought of as, you know, the business is sustainable. The, the people who, who um, are living in the home are sustaining themselves better and the environment is being sustained everyone at the same time. That's right. Yeah. 
Cool. What, what? And, oh, okay. go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and sustaining is sort of a low bar to me. I think we have to move beyond it eventually because sustaining is just sort of, I mean, ultimately it's status quo, right? If you're just sustaining something. Um, but we're so far beyond that in a bad way right now that I think if we can get to a level of sustaining things, we can then move beyond that and truly be regenerative. Mm, good thought. I like that thought. So um, what what kind of um, sustainable or environmentally friendly uh, buildings do, does your company create? We're a high-performance builder. And for us, it means that, that that home is performing at a really high level of efficiency and durability and longevity. And we really like that term because it it sort of speaks to what we actually build rather than a sort of amorphous principle around it. Um, you know, our homes are really high performance. They're, they're very well performing homes. They're not going to um, degrade or um, have the failures um, that we see rampant. Um, they're built according to the best building science. Building science is a big driver of how good a home is going to perform. And so that's the term that we end up using for us at Emerald Builders is we are a high performance home builder. Right. And high performance um, they're high performing in the sense of energy efficiency too. Right. And in your mind, high performance, they're, they're high performing on, um, low embodied carbon as well. Exactly. Yeah. High performance for us is they perform really well in, in terms of energy efficiency. They perform really well in terms of durability. They perform really well in terms of environmental criteria they perform really well in terms of their impact on climate change. And so for us, that that's the bigger, that drives the questions that we ask about it is, is it going to perform really well under these different criteria that we have for what makes up a good building? Cool. Thank you. Can you dive a little deeper into how you approach high performance building? Right. Well, Emerald Builders, um, start off with a huge focus on energy efficiency. I think that's where a lot of this comes from because what we know is um, our energy sources, whether it's the fuels to heat our homes or the electricity to run them, um, are some of the biggest contributors to just general pollution uh, in the air, but uh, in particular climate change. Um, fossil fuel burning for electricity and for fuel is, um, the, the driver of climate change in, in a large part. And so our homes have a big role to play. You know, the less energy our homes use, the less pollution goes out there. It's a fairly simple equation. And so I think um, early on, that was, the, that was the major focus. But along with that, there was a look at materials and saying, okay, well, not all materials are equal. Some are more toxic than others, um, either you know, in, their man, in their extraction, in their manufacture, um, in their transport, um, in their use in the home, and then eventually in their end use um, and how they get disposed of. And that's, I think from the beginning, Emerald Builders has always tried to take a life cycle approach, which really looks at all of those things. Um, there's, you know, indoor um, health aspects of buildings where people look just specifically at, you know, is this product releasing something into the air that's unhealthy for someone? And if the answer could be no, but that product's manufacturing could be um, contributing to higher levels of cancer in Louisiana, for instance. Well, we want to take that into consideration. We care just as much about the people around the manufacturing facilities in 
you know, the, the chemical um, plant communities as we do about the clients that are ultimately going to be in our homes. And so I think taking a life cycle approach has been a big driver. And so what we've ended up doing is trying to use natural materials like wood as much as humanly possible in our projects. We've tried to make them super energy efficient. Um, we're big fans of the passive house movement, um, which was started in Germany and basically looks at what are the heating units, the BTUs needed um, per square meter in a house. Um, and that really drives really um, tight homes, very airtight homes. Um, a lot of heat loss is just through air leakage. Um, and then it drives things like thick walls, especially up here in Maine, where we're in climate zone six, which is, which has very, um, very cold winters. Um, and it certainly gets worse from here uh, north, but it's enough that we need, we're talking about walls that are like 12 inches thick, kind of at a minimum, and they go up from there. And, um, and we're talking about using materials, um, for instance, like cellulose insulation, which is actually recycled newspaper fiber. So it's literally a newspaper that's been ground up and then treated with um, a borate uh, for you know antifungal you know and anti-pest um, and uh, and then uh, basically pressurized into the wall cavity just put in as a loose material but with a lot of pressure so it's dense we call it dense pack um, using something like that instead of fiberglass the pink stuff that everybody gets at the big box stores right to insulate their little projects you know that's made i mean it's fiberglass i mean they literally have to heat glass at a very high temperature uses a lot of energy and then is spun into these fibers and so that those are kind of the principles and some of the aspects of the buildings that we um, really look at and we try to avoid things like polyvinyl chloride or pvc or vinyl um, those are the different names that people may know of you know vinyl siding there's a lot of vinyl trim materials and we try to avoid the use of those all the time because again they're relatively benign on your house but we don't think they're a good quality product in terms of their finish, but also, you know, people in Louisiana, Texas, where vinyl was made have really high rates of cancer. You know, we call them cancer alley and we don't want to be contributing to things like that. What would you, what would you suggest as an alternative to vinyl siding? Yeah. Um, we still think that um, using wood um, is uh, the way to go for, for most typical sidings that were, you know, think things like, horizontal uh, clapboards or, um, or other types of horizontal lap sidings. Um, we really love using cedar shingles. You know, up here in Maine, it's part of the aesthetic. We're, I mean, I think it looks kind of good anywhere, but um, cedar shingles are great. And, and if they're unpainted, even better. Probably one of our, our best siding materials would be cedar shingles. You don't paint them. You know, you're going to have to replace them. But it actually takes a while for shingles to wear out. They have a really good long life on them. Cedar has natural preservative uh, resins and tannins in it that keep it impervious to, to degradation over the long term. Um, so it's a really great material for that. Whether it's Western red cedar out on the West Coast or whether here in Maine and the Northeast, it's Eastern white cedar. Um, both materials are, have a really great long life. And so we always try to think creatively and we care a lot about aesthetics. And so we work with designers and architects to make sure that something really looks good and, and meets the vision that the uh, clients want. But there are some tried and true materials, wood siding that they do great. And some of them take some maintenance, um, but that's part of, the, um, that's part of the, the way that those materials operate. And uh, we think ultimately they look a lot better too. 
Um, so you mentioned something about California and redwood cedar there, and you have the cedar in Maine. And that reminds me that I think I, I read that um, that you are thinking about materials that are local that you can use. Um, and I assume that, you know, sustainable builders everywhere are doing that so that they are uh, reducing that part of their carbon footprint and which also reminds me of um, this term embodied carbon that um, I heard about that I <laughs> I haven't been able to wrap my head around. So would you mind explaining that to us? Yeah. So um, one of our big focus at, 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 at Emerald Builders is em embodied carbon now because we've, we've cared about climate change throughout our whole history, I, I hope at this point, pretty much everybody cares about climate change and is trying to figure out the best way to deal with it. And one of the things that we've seen, the science, the science keeps changing on climate change in the sense that it gets more and more refined. You know, it's not like we've gone backwards in our understanding of how climate works, but we keep getting better and better information as to what matters more and more and where the priorities ought to be. And when it comes to buildings, you basically, when you build a new home, let's say you're building a new home from scratch, when you look at the carbon life cycle that that home has an impact on, energy efficiency really fits into a category called operational carbon, which means once that home is done and now it's being lived in or operated, what's its impact from that day on? And for the longest time, the green building movement, sustainable building focused very intently on that operational carbon for those reasons of, you know, reducing, you know, uh, heating oil use or propane use or electricity, et cetera. Well, that really ignores all of the carbon that it took to make that building come to life. So all of the transportation of the materials to the site, all of the energy used by, you know, our tools on site, um, but also all of the energy used in the uh, manufacture of the materials themselves. And so again, it's that life cycle approach where if you go back for, to the extractive stage and move forward, how much carbon impact does a given material or process have? And so what embodied carbon says is by the time that, before that house is even occupied, how much carbon impact is embodied in the structure? That's where the term comes from. And some of the ways to look at that are, um, you know, uh, a, for instance, a great comparison that we use a lot is in insulation materials. So let's say you have two houses, you know, they both have a concrete foundation, they both have wood studs, but you're looking at two different materials to insulate them with. Well, one material might have a higher embodied carbon than the other one. And so you're starting off as a, at a deficit, you know, you're starting off with carbon debt, as I think about it. So for instance, if we have like a, you know, a, a wood framed house, but we want to put, you know, two, four inches of some type of foam on the outside of that house. We see that a lot, that foam board with that um, sort of aluminum looking um, facing on it, um, that foil faced foam, that foam before it's even gotten to the site has a massive embodied carbon because the propellants that they use in making it off gas a lot of super greenhouse gases. It's not even CO2, it's gases that are more heat trapping than carbon even is. And so we think about things in terms of CO2, 
because we think about things in terms of CO2 equivalency. And so those, the chemicals that they use to make foam are so much stronger than carbon, um, than, than actual carbon dioxide. So before it's even gotten there, that foam board has already had a massive carbon impact. And then we put it on the wall and it's going to take decades of energy efficiency operation of that home, that operational side, to actually bring, bring your home to a neutrality before it even starts doing anything beneficial for the climate. So you start off with a carbon debt when you build that home. If you take another material like we like to use all the time, cellulose, it's recycled newspaper. It's a bio-based material. Newspaper is just tree fiber. Um, it's already had a life as a newspaper. It's already sort of, in some ways, that newspaper is really the, the first use. Now we have it, now we're upcycling it, I would say, by putting it into a home. And that has not only a low embodied carbon, but it actually can be carbon storing. So you're actually starting off, starting off as a net positive with that home, and it just gets better from there. So those two homes can operate at the same efficiency in their lifetime, but one of them you're taking decades to actually make up for the carbon you've already used before you can even sort of think of that, that house as being beneficial. And what we know about climate change right now is the emissions today matter so much more than the emissions 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. We're trying to get to net zero carbon emissions right now. Also, if we're doing our job as a society, hopefully in 10, 20, 30 years, we don't have this carbon pollution problem. We found all the regulations and ways around that. And so any home or any operation at that time will be on clean energy, for instance. You know, any home in 30 years should not be using fossil fuels to heat it or electrify it. That would just be archaic. And so we are trying to focus very heavily on asking the questions with our clients, with architects and designers, and with the broader community about what materials and practices are we using that are really beneficial now that are limiting those carbon emissions uh, in the near term. Right. Um, I, I had also read that, um, that concrete is, uh, uh, has a lot of embodied carbon. Um, yes. Well, if you build a foundation for a basement, it's got to have concrete. Um, and I noticed that there are some buildings out there that are very energy efficient that, and maybe soundproof and whatever other um, qualities they have that are built with concrete and foam as kind of building blocks. Um, and, and that's seen as green building, I think because of the energy savings and because down the road, uh, but that's not really considering the embodied carbon. So if somebody wanted to uh, make a difference in building their home using um, energy savings, they might want to look for something that is not using a lot of concrete, that is more carbon neutral than that, so that they can create a difference. Yeah. Yeah, I think ultimately the way we think about it is if, if you care about climate change and you're building a home or doing renovations or anything like that, you have to consider embodied carbon. Um, and we would encourage everybody to think that way. Um, certainly you can still have a very energy efficient home with some of these other materials, but we do need to get away from that. And concrete is another big area that we need to focus on. And it really, swapping on one insulation material for another um, is relatively easy in our mind in the grand scheme of things. I mean, it's still an uphill battle just to get people out of certain mindsets around materials. But 
we, we know how to do that quite easily. But as you said, concrete is just seen as like, well, if I need to build a house, I need a concrete foundation. And it's not actually true, but that is a really hard thing to, to plow through because it involves um, eliminating concrete or getting rid of concrete in, in big ways really involves a lot of redesign and re-engineering of homes um, that people who are just doing the same thing every day, whether you know, it's building the homes, being an engineer for them, being an architect, they need to actually rethink their processes. And so, for instance, the ultimate in our minds right now uh, approach to having a um, eliminating concrete and basically all of the foam from the project is to build houses on piers. So you see this different places and there are different parts of the country that do it more than others, but there are different pier systems now that you're essentially sticking a post in the ground deep enough. And like in Maine, for instance, we got to get well below um, the frost line, which we consider four feet. Um, you know, we got to go below that. Um, and so some of them look like massive, they call them earth screws. So they're these big helical piers and they have, they look like a massive auger bit and that, that auger bit just stays in the ground. So the machine just turns this massive screw into the earth and then it's got a little metal post sticking up out of it and you have a series of those and you can set your house on it. And that allows you to have a super insulated floor system that is at the bottom of the house and then you build up from there versus having an actual foundation. Now there's a whole bunch of considerations to get into about that, um, but it's a great way to go. Some other ways that people are, are reducing the amount of concrete is by building homes on slabs, which in some parts of the country is just normal business. You know, there are some parts of the country that don't even have foundations, um, you know, full like basement foundations. And so slabs are one way that you can do that. There are some people who are building um, basically a small structural wall and then building, uh, instead of a slab, you can build a, a, a plywood floor system that acts as your, what would have been your concrete slab. And so now you've eliminated that whole square footage of concrete. So there are different things that people are doing to try to eliminate um, or greatly reduced concrete. And those are all admirable. One of the things that does come hand in hand with concrete um, is the insulation side. And that is pretty much always foam. There's a couple alternatives out there that, are, that people are trying, but for the most part, if you're pouring concrete into the ground, you need to insulate that. And that means you're using foam. Now we tend to use the quote unquote greenest foam of the foams, basically the one that has the lowest embodied carbon. Um, it's EPS. It's actually the one that everybody thinks is the most evil, which is the, those like polystyrene cups, those styrofoam cups that are being eliminated everywhere, which we should definitely get out of packaging. It is a horrible material to put, take away food in. But for us, that foam is actually better to use under a concrete slab, for instance, than um, XPS or like the blue board or pink board that people see out there, um, which has a really, really high embodied carbon. It's quite a bit times more than the, the EPS foam. And so we can still make some decisions like that, that are better. Um, but we're still using foam, we're still using concrete. And those are things that we do need to get away from. So one of the examples that you had was these insulated concrete forms, you know, where you basically you form, you know, traditionally when you form up concrete, you use these big 
you know, metal or wooden forms. They pour the concrete in, then they break the forms off, truck them away, and you're left with your concrete wall. That's the typical thing. Um, there's actually um, uh, a technology out there that uses foam and uh, plastic ties to keep the foam together. And they sort of, as you were saying, they, they kind of look like Lego blocks almost. They sort of nest into each other and you can build um, these blocked up foam, foam forms and then pour the concrete in them and the foam stays um, and that insulates your wall. Um, for foundations, that's totally an option. We've done them some. Um, we find that doing the ice, it's called insulated concrete form or ICFs. So doing the ICFs is, can be a fine way to go in some respects, but um, we find that now you have, you know, however much foam sticking above grade that you have to look at and you have to, you have to treat it somehow. You have to stucco it or put some kind of cladding over it and it can be tricky. Also on the inside, you now have to fireproof that. Um, it's not a fire rated foam. So now you have to do something to treat the inside. And when we take the whole thing into consideration, a lot of times for us, it's just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, what we end up doing when we have to do foundations is we um, insulate with foam on the inside. So we actually fasten foam to the inside of the wall if it's within the envelope, which generally um, it would be um, the insulation envelope of the house. And so we insulate under the slab with the EPS foam, the quote unquote greener of the foams. And then we usually, we use, uh, we have to use a fire rated foam on the inside, which is um, a polyisocyanurate, which is also a little bit better than some of the other foams, uh, but it actually has a fire rated side facing to it. And so we can kind of um, leave that exposed on the foundation wall without having to do, you know, a framed wall or put drywall over it somehow or whatever, you know I mean? It just ends up being a little bit um, better that way. So um, there, that's definitely um, a possibility for foundations out there and some people like to use them and, um, but building a whole house out of them doesn't really make a lot of sense because now you just, you, you have, you're covering, your entire house is made out of foam and concrete, which are two of the biggest materials with embodied, like high embodied carbon. And so that's for us, you know, if you think about the embodied carbon, the amount of, amount of energy it takes to manufacture and truck concrete um, versus wood that actually stores carbon. Um, that's, that's a massive difference in terms of the sustainability or the, the effect on climate that those wall systems would have. And I think the other aspect of this is there's carbon debt or this embodied carbon that we need to look at. We need to have carbon storing buildings. You know, we're building edifice all over the country all the time. Those should become carbon sinks. And we personally think in Emerald Builders that we should have policy really driving that. But in the meantime, clients can, and consumers can really make that, um, uh, make that happen with their own decision making and, and asking their builders and asking their architects, like, I wanna build a home, but can we make it store carbon? Can we, and, and I kind of think of it as sort of like, it's a little bit of a carbon battery. So and so- what, Can you go into that a little bit deeper, that um, storing, how, how is it storing carbon? Sure. When we look at the carbon cycle, um, the best carbon sequestering technology we have out there are plants and trees, right? So we all know this, we all learned this in science class um, when we were kids that plants use carbon dioxide to build their actual structure. And so they're literally taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, out of the air, and they're embodying that carbon into their structure. 
um, into the cellulose or um, you know, into their leaves, into the trunk, all of that material. So that carbon gets converted and, and made into a structural component of those trees. And then, well, if that tree gets burned, for instance, well, that carbon just goes right back in the atmosphere. And there's a certain amount of that that has been typical throughout the history of the planet, or it's certainly recent history, the last few thousand years. And that's considered the carbon cycle that's sort of natural. That's not really the driver of climate change. Massive deforestation is a driver of climate change and massive forest burning by people is a driver of climate change. Um, but some of the natural aspects of, of trees decomposing or getting burned in natural cycles is just seen as part of this sort of loop of carbon going into the atmosphere and coming back down into plants. So if we take, so if you take a, a tree and you never burn it and you make it part of this permanent structure, that's storing it. Okay. Exactly. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, that's exactly right. And there are some materials that um, are also fantastic building. So wood is a really easy one. So wood framing, you know, we've been using for ages. You know, that's a pretty typical one. So sure, if you could, if you could choose between a concrete building and a wood building, like the wood building is going to store more carbon, be better for the climate, generally speaking. But there's also some materials like, like people really like using exterior insulation. And so foam is a typical material that people use. Well, we're actually a big proponent of a wood fiberboard insulation. So they're actually making, um, they've made it for decades in Europe um, and it's starting to come over here. Um, and we've used it, we actually insulated our office space with this. We, could, we renovated a 1950s post office in our hometown of Bodenham and um, turned into a high performance uh, co-working space. And so that space is insulated with wood fiberboard, about three inches of wood fiberboard on the outside. There's actually a company in Maine that is going to be starting to make this in, a, in about a year or so, um, which is really exciting. And so we're, we're going to be supporting the Maine forest products industry, but that's going to be Forest Stewardship Council certified fiber, which is um, the best. And that's sort of the, the closest thing we have to a gold standard in terms of determining that those forests are managed in a way that, that is um, good for biodiversity, good for the, the ecosystem, um, and also good for the climate. And so if the trees are coming from a Forest Stewardship Council certified forestry operation, um, we can trust that they are probably the, the best carbon storing trees that, that we've got. Some trees, if they're from less sound um, forest practices, could have not as good an impact because what we also know about forests is the trees are really important, but the soil stores, I don't know, many times more, depending on your forest, many times more carbon than the trees themselves. So the trees have a bunch of the carbon. The soil actually is storing the bulk of the carbon. So if we're taking trees out of the forest to store carbon in houses, that's a good thing to do. But we need to make sure that those trees are coming from forests that are managed properly so that we're not now releasing carbon from the soil that we want to have stay there. So it gets a little complicated to think about. Once you start having the principles of like, okay, I want the carbon to stay in the ground, I want it to stay in the trees, and I want it to be stored in the home, then you can start to ask the right questions and really follow where your materials are coming from and how they're being used. The, the lengths to which your company goes to, um, to source good materials, um, is there a huge difference in price of a home that is more carbon neutral than another? Yeah, that's a, we get the question about price a lot. And 
it honestly, it's hard to not say it depends. Um, there's no sort of hard or fast rule with that. So much of the price of a home depends on so many different factors. And so <clears throat> there are builders that say, you know what, we can build a two by six home with exterior foam for far cheaper than we can build a double studded wall, which has basically an exterior wall and an interior wall that's then creates a 12 inch cavity or nine inch cavity or 16 inch cavity that's filled with cellulose. The, some builders would say, I can do that two by six wall with foam on the outside far cheaper than I can do a double stud wall. For us, it's not the case. We build a double stud wall for, that's our cheapest wall system. And in many ways it's our most robust and carbon storing wall. And that's what we like to do. And so a lot of it has to do with the practitioners, what they're used to, and honestly, what their standards are. Like when we build with foam, one of our biggest challenges, it's really, foam is very, feels very rigid. Like when you buy it in the store, you touch it, you're like, oh, I can kind of punch this and not, not much happens. Well, when you're driving a piece of strapping on the outside with a big um, heavy duty screw into the framing, you can compress that foam pretty significantly. So if you're doing that all up and down the wall, and then you go to put siding on it, I mean, you can get vertigo looking down that siding because it's just so wobbly. So getting a flat wall plane on the outside to have the finishes that we want to have takes a lot of effort and time. Well, if you're a builder who's not going to go to that effort and is just going to let the siding be wavy, yeah, I'm sure you can get it way cheaper than we would. But we want really straight lines on our siding, and so we're going to spend a lot more time doing that. The wood fiber board actually gives us a far better density. So we still have to do a little bit of that planing of the wall, but not that much because it doesn't compress that much. So there's so many different components that go into a given price. And what I would say is if you're building a custom home, you're building a custom home. It's kind of going to cost what it costs because it's never been built before. We have a friend of ours who works in the um, IT industry. And one of the things that they're constantly doing is they build prototype after prototype after prototype and then they find the thing that works and they launch it. And we were talking to him about our business. He's like, I can't imagine what you guys do. You're just building prototype after prototype and moving on to the next one. And it's the finished product. When you're building a home for the first time and last time that that home's ever going to get built, the costs are going to be all over the place. I mean, you can value engineer certain things, but a custom home is a custom home. I think when it comes to manufactured homes or reproduced homes, you can start to bring those prices down because you create systems around it. Because like you build the first, you know, manufactured homes, they build that home, they design a home, they build it the first time and it costs X amount. The second time they build that home, they can probably reduce that cost by five to 10% and down and down and down until they sort of reach an equilibrium um, based on just routine and material ordering and sequencing and all of those kinds of things. And so it depends so greatly on how the home's built, where it's built, what material's available. And um, I know that can be frustrating for consumers to hear, but I think the power in that is knowing, okay, if I have a certain amount of money to spend on a home, what are my real priorities? And for us, what we really love is some of our best clients have been the people who say, you know what? I, can, I don't need to have the fanciest finishes on the inside but I want a really durable home. I want to be comfortable in my home and I want it to be environmentally friendly. And then we can say, okay, we will make sure that those things happen. Let's look at all the other parts of the process 
that we can reduce some costs on, do some value engineering on. And that's really a great way forward. So I think as a, as a consumer, your best thing to do is say, what are my priorities? What do I really care about? Where am I willing to invest the money? And where am I willing to you know, take a, a cheaper path and that my quality of life can still be what it needs to be? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What's that? <laughs> I was saying, is that helpful at all? Yes, that's very helpful. I, I think that would be very helpful. Basically, you have to know what, what your priorities are. Really, probably um, everybody should know that, uh, no matter what kind of home they're building. Um, so if, if uh, so, you know, it sounds like you have a, a great company. And um, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you to build their home, uh, where yeah. would they go? Yeah. So our website is uh, emeraldbuild.com. Um, and we're also on Instagram. Um, and then on our website, there are contact forms, uh, depending on what you're trying to do. And so you can just fill out those forms. And they, they actually go to our email inboxes at the company, depending on what the request is for. And so um, sometimes they'll go to me, sometimes they'll go to our president, Reggie, our operation manager, Rachel. It just depends on what you're looking to do to get in touch with us. But um, go to our website, emeraldbuild.com, and we look forward to talking with uh, anybody who wants to build a, a great home in Maine. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Hey, hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. John was really good at explaining why low carbon is important to achieve now and ways to get there. I hope you learned a lot. Remember, this episode is brought to you by Samba Soul. You can check out these beautiful, fashionable flip-flops made of 100% recyclable rubber at samba-soul.com. That's S-A-M-B-A hyphen S-O-L.com. To enter the competition to get that $75 gift certificate to Samba Soul, here's what you do. Rate and review the podcast. Take a screenshot of your review and email it to askasustainablebuilder at gmail.com. The randomly chosen winner will be contacted via email. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you wouldn't mind, share the podcast with someone else who might enjoy it. Please help spread the word so more people can understand how to build sustainably. Mm -hmm.